Hi, I'm Jamie. And I'm Mel. And this is Murder Attica, finally. <laughs> Finally, it's happened to me. Actually, you know what? We did marry Vincent, to be fair, but it's been a while since we've given you guys consistent true crime. That's true. And here it is. Crime. Here it is tonight. (laughs) Crime that is true. Yeah, here it is tonight. I, guys, you know, I care a lot about you and literally, like, I don't know what's going on. Like, um... It's like writer's block, but like we don't write any of our own stuff. We just basically steal other people's hard work and then move it around and tell you the story. But I have stealing other people's ideas block. I feel like. Yeah, for me, as I take all the information and completely rewrite it. And that takes so goddamn long. If anybody has any helpful tips on how to like be quicker at writing information-based text, you let us know because we need it. Honestly, like, I mean, you're very much more Virgo than I am. And I mean, the way I look at it is kind of like how I would look at whenever I used to do like school presentations. Like we weren't allowed to read off of papers, like, right? Like back in like Mm -hmm. high school and shit, you only had like little notes, if anything. So you kind of just got to give yourself like you kind of just have to know the story. Like what I've been doing is I listen to other people do it and or I listen to stories about it. So then I have like I, I have a good knowledge of it. And those little things that like you hear and you're like, whoa, like whenever you do make your little point form notes, those things pop back in your head. So like what I end up doing is just making myself like a little template. Like, you know, if I want to start it off with the murder, it'll be like the murder. And then it'll be like early the life. investigation. It'll be like early life of the people, mm-hmm. you know, and then like what led up to the incident and then what the incident was and then the trial and then sentencing, you know? So I just end up doing that or like, yeah, like I literally go into a million different articles. I copy and paste what people write, but then I delete it and make my own little point note of what the idea is. So then that way I'm using my own words. Yeah, you're so good at point form for me. I have to read right off the teleprompter, basically. Um, (laughs) Because if not, my brain, like I just, yeah, I have to. I'll read whatever's up there. And yeah, if I don't, like, I feel like I second guess what my brain wants to say. And then I can't remember anything. Also, I just, I just can't remember anything to begin with. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's why I said to you before we started recording, I'm like, whenever you like talk in between, it gives me a chance to read what the next sentence is. I fucking love that, man. You sell yourself, sell it all, sell the information, sell yourself, sell your soul, sell your soul to the devil. Maybe we should just go like, um, what is it called? Uh, um, and that's why we drink style. One of them only does true crime and one of them only does, um, paranormal so i mean i could just do true crime and you could just be our erotic girl 
<laughs> I love it. I'm I'm the sexy, dirty one that comes in. Everything's 1920s now, sultry in the bedroom with cigarettes. Well, speaking of the 20s, my story takes place in the roaring 20s. Yes, Boardwalk Empire every week, guys. We've moved on from the 1800s. Now we're 1920s only. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I mean, that all I did this weekend, I literally, like, the new Bridgerton episodes came out, but I never watched it before. But I was like, mm -hmm. you know what? Last year, everybody was talking about Bridgerton. And just seeing the previews, like, the colors are just in the, like, the 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 costumes and stuff like that and the settings and like how it looks flowery. beautiful it's so fucking aesthetically pleasing to the eyes and it's all just surrounding like kind of like gossip and like uh, you know honor and roles and like da, da 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 like I love that fucking shit so I'm just like I that's all I did this weekend I binged all of Bridgerton and then I was like now all I want to watch is 1800 shit like I'm like what do I do <laughs> mm -hmm. So then I ended up watching Emma, which was a movie, but then I was looking for other stuff and I was like, Ugh. I went to like the later 1800s and I was like, I don't like it as much. And then I was like in the 1900s and I was like, uh, but then I went back and I was like, Hey, you know what? I will go into like the early 1900s and I've been doing Downton Abbey. Oh my God. Amazing. Yeah. I like it. I haven't watched any of it, but I, I mean, people fucking love it. Yeah good is it like is this one like a reboot or something because like i swear it only started in like 2016 or something and i always yeah, thought I downton abbey was like an old thing maybe it's like you know uh there's like um that haunting of like bly manor or whatever like that's mm -hmm. actually like there's five other movies that have different names that have to do with that story no i thought downton abbey did only come out like Less than ten years ago, I I forget. I like I always think of. Um, I just assume every. I oh. just assume every single show is Coronation Street that's been on for forty-seven right? years. If it's British, every single one of them, and it's a drama, it must be Coronation Street. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So take us to the twenties. I'm excited for your little va va voom, your little flapper girl. Somebody's yeah. gonna get killed. Oh my god. Oh, whoa. <laughs> All right. So let's get into it. Okay. So I'm just going to start this off by saying I got the idea and most of the information um, that come, came from my brain from literally binge listening to the entire season on this murder by Tenfold More Wicked, which is Kate mm -hmm. Wink, Wink, Kate Winkler. Dawson. Sorry. It's a hard one to say fast. I want to say Winsler. Kate Winkler Dawson. Okay. Um, I've been listening to her podcast. Like that's all I've been listening to the last week or so. And uh, I managed to binge the entire season of the murder I'm about to do in a matter of four hours today. So your brain, your goddamn you know. brain. I actually Sexy am sponge. halfway through another one now because then I had another house to go clean. <laughs> I like to just stare at a blank wall and here you are filling your goddamn brain with every information. I have so many true crime cases stuck in my head, though, that like if you were to ask me about it, I'd be like, I've never heard one in my entire life unless I. Yeah. Do who is that? You're like, oh, the person I'm talking about. Perfect. Yeah. Well, you know how my brain works. Like in my head, I am a fucking genius and like I hold all the knowledge. But then when I come to come time to like 
speak about it. And I'm like, let me just paraphrase this for you. And then I'm just like, go on a tangent for five hours. That's Shmeh. nothing to do with yeah. what I was talking about. Shmeh. <laughs> yeah. Shmeh. Yeah. Oh my God. Anyways. Um, so yeah, the story I will be telling you about is about the murder of Alberta Meadows, which is a fucking beautiful name first to start Meadows off with. is a last name. Come on. And Alberta? I mean. Okay. So if you haven't heard of this murder, it's probably because just like most other murders, we don't really get to know the victims as much as we do the murderer. So I guess this case could also be called the case of the tiger woman, <gasps> AKA her name is Clara Phillips. All right. Tiger woman. I'm like, okay, Joe exotic. That's what I thought, but I was like, no, it's in the 1920s. Uh, whenever I first started listening to it, I thought for sure it was going to be about a circus, but less it was not. And I was disappointed, but then I enjoyed the story and I was no longer disappointed. <laughs> All right. Let me take you to the scene. We're in LA 1920s, AKA Ooh. the roaring twenties, AKA the jazz age. We've got Hollywood. We've got silent yes. films. We've got oh. the largest city in the West which more than doubled in a single decade filled with gold mines and oil mines. The suffragette movement uplifted women who were becoming more independent and finding their way in the world and working, heaven forbid, many of whom wishing to be the next big star in the golden era of film. Greta Gabo. <laughs> Greta Gabo on the Gabarita. <laughs> Meanwhile, of course, the Catholic Christian church was still coming down hard on a new and more rebellious age. Things like prohibition were coming into play, which rather than straighten people out, it created organized crime. Speaking Boardwalk Empire, sorry to interrupt you, but that's literally everything that's happening on the show right now. Right? I need to rewatch it because I never finished it. So maybe I'll jump aboard that. Yeah, you have to. So we could talk about it. All right, speakeasies and bootleg liquor could be found on every corner. Corsets and long dresses of the Victorian age are being traded with short fringe dresses and shoulders. Flappers. When we think of the 20s, we think of partying. We think of money. I mean, this was a time of money and a time of exciting romances. I mean, when you think about it, what do you think of? We think of like Bonnie and Clyde. I don't know if that's the 20s, but it's going to be in my head. <laughs> yes, it seems right. Actually, yeah. no, that's a little bit, I think, before because yeah, I think that, was there, like, was, yeah. there was the long dresses for sure. Yes, longer dresses for sure. It was probably right around the time of Downton Abbey, which takes place right after the Titanic sink. I'm just I'm like looking at their outfits Google. and I'm picturing it. Yeah. 1917. Oh no. yeah. So they were actually, yeah, like in the twenties also. So you, you nailed it. They, they met in the thirties. Oh, so wow. somehow I think it's because they were more country folk. Like Bonnie yeah. wore long sleeve dresses. She wasn't the glitz and glam. Like you're picturing now, like the excess, the beads, the I gold picture jewels. like a hat, like a little hat with like, kind of like the pre fifties haircut. And like, I picture like, uh, 
Yeah, more like a, a farmer girl's like long skirt and then like the top up top just being kind of like a blousey thing, you know? Mm-hmm. That's how I picture it. And maybe, maybe when she opens her legs up, you realize that they're in fact trousers. <laughs> yeah, farmer's trousers. And that's also a scene from Downton Abbey. She got a new dress and she came out and everybody was like, ooh. And then she like lifted her leg out and her dad was like, oh my goodness. Anyways. How could you wear pants? No one will ever trade you for a couple of seeds. <laughs> Can't trade you for a farmer's field. So again, when we think of the 20s, we think of partying, money, exciting romance. But sometimes even the most exciting romances hit their fair share of bumps in the road. But nothing says, I love you, quite like murder. (sighs) Now let's jump back a bit so we can meet the players in our tale. Mm. We've got Clara Ann Weaver. She was born on June 23rd, 1898. So is that a cancer now? No longer a Gemini? What was it? June June what? 23rd. Yeah, so, that has to be cancer. Oh my God, it makes so much sense. But very, very cuspy. Well, that's a horrible cusp. I'm sorry, all of you cancer and Geminis. I'm just... That's perfect because Aaron was born a day before on June 22nd. So you can imagine my headache. Yeah, well, here's hoping he doesn't end up like Clara. All right, so she was born on June 23rd, 1898 in Waco, Texas. She was one of five children. This is way before that, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) This is the prequel. (laughs) Oh, God. We should cover it. Um, She was one of five children to John Weaver and Anna Jackson. She was the second youngest, and she had a very strong bond with the baby of the family, which was her sister, Etta. The family moved frequently, um, mainly sticking to small country towns. Throughout her childhood, her family... Oh, sorry. I just read that. Moved frequently around Texas, and they ended up settling in Houston when she was a teenager. And that was when she met Mr. Armour L. Phillips. Armour. Yes. At this time, Clara was 15 years old, and Armour was a handsome 22-year-old full of ambitions. He had dreams of the big city and a fast life, with the booming (laughs) of the oil industry in the West. He promised Clara a life behind her wildest imagination. Hmm. Clara was particularly fond of this idea and began to dream of making it onto the big stage or even better into a career as an actress everyone wanted to be an actress in the 20s man everybody did have a chance if you were good looking like you're you're a shoo-in not like nowadays nowadays you go to like an audition and they crush your soul and then you just go and like fucking it's somehow very ironic like you go to hollywood you want to be an actress they say no and they're like don't worry skid rose three blocks that way baby literally ugh Yeah. What happened, L.A.? What happened? Big problem. Big problem. Money, money. (laughs) All right. So Clara was particularly fond. Oh, yeah. Clara was particularly fond of the idea, um, and she very much yearned for attention. In her youth, she had displayed this craving for attention through acts of manipulation and violence. She had been diagnosed at a young age with epileptic something i forget what it was but which back then was not considered a neurological disorder but more of a mental health diagnosis oh no way yeah i feel like having 
epilepsy and actually going into seizure. Yeah. I I feel like, you know, that to me leans more towards the physical issues maybe stemming from yeah. the brain. But, oh, my God, I can't believe they're like, yeah, you willed yourself into a <laughs> into Well, a I think that there was, like, a bunch of different terms for it. Like, there was epileptic whatever. And I mm-hmm. think that whatever the whatever is, it was more of what she had. But, like, basically epilepsy was, like, kind of like, like an umbrella, kind of like aut- the autism spectrum in a way, okay. I guess. That's how I can describe it right now without any – any no any pages by professors on my screen. I love it. <laughs> it is said that she used to go into fits of convulsions, but also mixed with anger and violence. So she would like flail around, but also like just like physically abuse like her family members. I think that the medical term is called a rage blackout. <laughs> well, actually, we now know that Clara was in fact a psychopath. <laughs> Sounds a little bit like it. Yeah. So let me just tell you a little bit about psychopaths. So psychopaths only take up about 1% to 2% of the whole entire population, okay? Um, now, another random fact I heard today that I thought was hilarious that, like, I think it was, like, 30-something, 30 34% of individuals in, like, the big corporate world are psychopaths. I'm and I'm not like, surprised. I'm like, makes sense, you hedge fucks. Sorry. You can't get to the top <laughs> of a pyramid without, like, happily crushing the skulls on the way up, you mm-hmm. know? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm just, like, gulping. That was probably so loud as I chug <laughs> my water. I mean, yeah, like, definitely when you think of psychopathy, you think of, like, manipulation and things like that. And, I mean, we all know that hedge funds – and dark pool abuse are manipulating the stock market, but I'm not going to get into that. Just continue to buy and hodl, okay, everybody? Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know what we're talking about? You know. Wink. Wink. To so Wink. what is psych- psychopathy? Few psychology terms stir up confusion like the word psychopath, even though it's commonly used to describe someone who has a mental illness, psychopath is not an official diagnosis. The true definition of a psychopath in psychiatry is antisocial personality disorder. Um, more men Uh-oh than women. Oh, for me. <laughs> <laughs> now we're gonna go into that a little bit. Like it, the term anti. Whenever they do say like antisocial, they don't mean like you don't hang out with people. They mean you are you behavior- go against the yeah you go against the norm of what society is doing. Exactly, like your behaviors aren't cohesive with what's expected of you in a social setting. So more than men than women have this diagnosis, which while I was listening to the podcast, because I mean, this is like a multi-part podcast. So obviously I can't cram all of the information into this um, hour or so long podcast, but um, it's just because like the definition, it's just like ADHD, you know, like I have ADHD. I'm sure you probably have ADHD, maybe just a little bit. I don't know. Oh, I've got, I've definitely got a touch of it. Exactly. But like we present much differently than men do, right? Like Mm -hmm. women can actually look like they're lazy because they'll just completely shut down 
And it's so internalized. We're yeah. not acting out and like being the class clown and like being very frantic for the most part. It's really, it's a war in our brains. It's a constant anxiety attack from the inside and on the of- outside. <laughs> I don't know. It's a full, well-rounded attack. I've spent my entire life in constant stress. (laughs) All right. You're making it sound like a dream. (laughs) So technically, to receive uh, antisocial personality disorder diagnosis, you have to be 18 years of age. But some people will show signs of conduct disorder, which was is actually my brother was diagnosed with conduct disorder as a child and I'm 100% oh, wow. sure he's a psychopath. We're not talking right now so I don't give a fuck. Sorry. <laughs> if he's listening. He, he was being a psychopath to me. So, you know, we're not talking right now. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. That's just how psychopaths work. Sorry. Yeah. Not well, you've gone into a bit of your family history anyways and I think that it's completely fair. I forget what we were which episode? Oh, I might we have were cut some doing. of it out, depending. I might have left some of it in, but yeah, definitely. There's a lot of mental health and my f- issues in my family, and sorry to anybody who does have psychopathy or any social personality disorder. You're not all the same. Not everybody's the same. Not but even my, close. So my brother, he's such a shithead. All right, so um, they'll show signs of conduct disorder, which like just a heads up, like what conduct disorder is from what I was explained as a child, whenever he received the diagnosis, it's kind of like a combination of like a bunch of other things. So like you can have ADHD, you could have operational defiance disorder or oppositional defiance, operational, oppositional defiance disorder, (laughs) you know, like, it's just like kind of like a mixture and it just means that you're not conducting properly. I don't know. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which may be an early indicator of ASPD as early as age one. Um, oh, some of the wow. more right. Some of the more common signs to be aware of include socially irresponsible behavior, disregarding. Or and by the way, all of everything I'm reading right now did come from an actual like health and wellness, not health and wellness, sorry, like an actual psychiatry page, health and wellness. It's just like meditate on it. That's exactly what I was going to say. I was thinking like an outdoor retreat uh, where we all drink kombucha and we write papers on uh, psychopathy. Yeah, exactly. Very well learned. It came from an actual psychiatric website, which I will share the link in our um, episode description. So disregarding or violating the rights of others, inability to distinguish between right and wrong, difficulty with showing remorse or empathy, tendency to lie often, manipulating and hurting others, recurring problems with the law, general disregard towards safety and responsibility. Um, One of the ways um, it was kind of described in the podcast was that when you're like set on doing something, like you're not going to think of what the consequences are going to be. Like you're going to do what you mm-hmm. need to do to get that, you know, there could be a cop kind of standing close by, but you know, you're really dead set on grabbing that bottle of alcohol off the shelf or something. And you're not thinking about what if I get caught? That's exactly. Kind of and descriptions. that's why um, whenever people try and, get out of a murder charge or whatever with a insanity plea, mm-hmm. they really hone in on focusing whether they can prove whether the um, the person knew right from wrong. Like, oh, yeah. were they committing the crime, but then they cleaned it up? Like, okay, you probably knew it was wrong. Or uh, were they like 
speeding away from the crime scene, but they saw a cop, so they slowed down. Like, you know right from wrong, you know? So, For sure. And I mean, I think that. that there's a lot of argument going on right now in the kind of justice system on their definitions because – for sure, like their their idea of somebody who's like criminally insane or it's like a temporary and in, temporary insanity was yeah like they literally did not care in that moment and they just like went off of whatever they were feeling and didn't care about consequences, mm-hmm. but you know they are seeing that like there is premeditation sometimes, but you could still be having like a mental health issue. It's true. You know, like you could you could still be temporary temporarily insane because of what like the moment was. Like maybe like who knows how many people think about murdering people? Like, you know, this somebody could just be sitting there thinking, like, oh man, if I were to murder her, like I would do this and this and this and that, but then not go through with it. You know, they mm-hmm. might they might have told somebody about it, but then in the heat of the moment something happens and they f- go temporarily insane then they do it and somebody's like oh she was talking about killing that girl like last year you know and then it's like premeditation but who knows There's we're not so gonna go little into pe- that today so many little pieces to like everything of when you should see shit come up in in court cases you're like oh wow this could yeah. really swing either way now exactly Other behaviors that may be signs of ASPD include a tendency to take risks, reckless behavior, and being deceitful with frequent lying, which they've already said that kind of. Psychiatrists say someone exhibiting um, these behaviors may also lack deep emotional connections, have superficial charm about them, be very aggressive, and get very angry sometimes, which, I mean, I would disagree with a little bit about the emotional connections because, like, as you'll see in this story, she's very deeply emotionally connected to her partner. However, they do kind of go on to say like, you know, somebody in her state, somebody who's kind of like her, is just whatever she was obsessing over at that moment. Like she did have an, but like once that wasn't as important, you know, she can move on from it. I don't know if Mm -hmm. I'm explaining this right, but maybe we'll get back into the murder soon. Okay. Additionally, people with ASPD don't care if they have hurt someone, are impulsive and abusive and lack remorse. And in the case of ASPD, abusive doesn't necessarily mean violent. It's actually, you know, a lot of people think like psychopaths are violent, but it's actually like they have that they're not necessarily violent. You know, no, it could There's just a lot be a response. People. Exactly. Like- and Whenever I read these things, you know, these are things, and I mean, there, there's certain diagnosis methods that they have. I think it's called like the DM5 or something. It's like some sort of manual that they go based off of. And those are like the the first list I kind of read off was kind, is kind of like the, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Formula? No. Either way, that's just kind of what they go off of. Just if you have that diagnosis, ASPD, doesn't mean that, you know, you have all of these things at all. So I just want to make that clear. Like nobody is saying, it's just like saying everybody with ADHD is hyper, you know, like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's just like saying, you know, people who are narcissistic don't love 
or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you can't blanket term anything no. and expect everybody who falls under that to be a cookie cutter version of each other or the definition all the time. Yeah, you can still be an amazing, wonderful person. And I mean, if you're born with something, you know, like it's not like you asked for it. It's not like you did anything to be like, oh, I would like to feel this way, you know? And as long as, you know, you love yourself and I don't know, I'm just rambling now. Just trying <laughs> just trying to pander with you guys. All right, let's move on. Just pandering. <laughs> just pandering. <laughs> All right. It's also said that it's a chronic condition, but it does seem to improve with age. I believe that they call it like a burnout. Why, like once you get to a certain age, you just kind of like you're just older now and you just okay. kind of become boring, just like everybody yeah. else who gets old. That's true. <laughs> Mortality rates are higher in people with ASPD because of their behavior. So I know in the podcast, they were talking a little bit more about psychopathy and you know, obviously, just like a lot of other mental health disorders, people tend to cope with it with like drugs and alcohol or mm-hmm. other like self-destructive behaviors. So I'm sure that probably clicks into it and maybe putting yourself in more dangerous situations could. And I mean, keeping in mind, this is only one to two percent of the population. So whatever percentage of that one percent, <laughs> you know. Um, It would later actually come out that her father, as well as some other family members, also suffered from mental health issues. Okay. So back to the happy couple. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. We set up for such a successful future. (laughs) Excuse me. Um, The couple married in Houston on November 13th in 1913. Oh, wow. So that's. Oh, no, that's 10, 13, 13. Okay. Armour aspired <laughs> to become an oilman, and Clara wanted a shot at stardom, like we mentioned before. The couple made their home at 703 West 53rd Street in Los Angeles. They were both reasonably successful. Clara was very pretty. She had dark hair. She had, you know, all of the fashionable flapper hair going on. She had a hourglass figure and just like a gorgeous smile. And there are pictures of her out there. Some of them, like, yeah, she does look like very beautiful. Some of them, I'm like, wow, we age so much better nowadays. (laughs) Yeah. No offense, Clara. I mean, whatever. She's This is long ago. And she did horrible things, so. Anyways, she was pretty, but there, there, you know, there's a couple of pictures. There's an evil like, behind the eyes that just changes everything. Yes, exactly. Um, Mac Sennett, I don't know who that is, but I think they were probably really famous because they're mentioned, hired her for print work as a bathing beauty. So she did the okay. whole, you know, Betty Page thing, Marilyn Monroe, pre Marilyn Monroe, I should say. Yes, by a couple decades. Yeah. She also worked as a chorus girl at Pantages Theater in Hollywood. She probably feels like she's already on the up and up. Her dreams of becoming an actress are right around the corner. Oh, for sure. Armour worked in the oil industry and made enough money to hire servants to care for the Phillips home. He even sent for Clara's mother and sister who joined the household. Armour Phillips was part of the Mellon family 
who apparently were like crazy rich family back then. But oh, this wow. was the poor part of the family that went to Texas, not the multi-millionaire and billionaires. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oops, we thought you guys were someone else. Yeah. Now I want to stop here and point out that Armour Phillips was actually, in fact, like a huge ass grifter and con man. He bilked people out of their money with a smile. Oh. Clara Grifter. <laughs> yeah. Clara, you know, was living the life of luxury. You know, she was starting to make her way, you know, into stardom. But all of that didn't really bring her happiness. Um, their schedules were very conflicted and they didn't really see each other that often. And Clara was very emotionally dependent on him. Like she really, really cared deeply about him. Um, and they did find out early on in their marriage that she couldn't have children. So Armour was like her baby. Like she was like, oh, he's like okay. my baby. But like, I mean, not in like one of those weird ways, you know, like TLC would talk about. Mm-hmm. But uh, just, you know, he was her everything. So she decided to quit her jobs and dedicated her time to being a housewife and being Mrs. Armour Phillips. However, the solution wasn't really going to fix everything because at this time, Armour was starting to stay out more. And thanks to a nosy neighbor, Thoughts of infidelity. Oh, my God. I wrote infertility. Oh, that's horrible because she was actually infertile. Aww. Oh, my God. Well, you know what? It was, it was I don't, I don't mean head. to laugh. I don't mean to laugh. I was just laughing at, like, you, your little, like, misspeak. But obviously, you were just talking about how they were having issues yeah. conceiving a child. So, of course, infidelity, infertility. It probably was both the in same her head. Word. Yeah. They were both in her head. So, yeah, her head was filled with gossip. Um, she had mm-hmm. heard that Armour was seeing a young woman by the name of Alberta <gasps> Meadows. Oh, no. She, she was a 19-year-old widow, poor girl, who worked at the bank. 19-year-old widow. Yeah. But I mean, by the time, in the 20s, you're 19, you're basically 47. Yeah. You've already she's been a, married a couple She's a times. ruined woman. No, I yeah. mean. Besmirched. <laughs> that's what Bridgerton would say. They would say it. No, the Bridgertons are a lovely family. Um, and she wasn't far off. Armour was interested in Alberta, but not for love, but for her inheritance. Oh, dang. Clara was sure he was cheating on her and was going to leave her for this Alberta. She confided in her friend Peggy Caffey, who she met at a cor- as a chorus girl. That's such a perfect name. Peggy Caffey. Peggy Caffey, the chorus girl. Yeah. Peggy was much meeker and was truly fond of Clara. Um, Peggy was also going through similar worries of her own husband at the time. Mm-hmm. And after a huge fight at home with Armour, Clara left and went to stay with Peggy. It was there that she decided she wanted to stake out Alberta's home and catch him in the act. So they did. And nothing happened. (gasps) (laughs) So finding nothing there, she then stated to Peggy that she wanted to confront Alberta and she was going to do so at Alberta's work the next day. But not before they went and did some shopping. So on July 10th, while shopping, Phillips picked up a hammer and bluntly asked a store employee if one could kill a person with the tool. Oh, stop it. Okay, girl, witness. (laughs) Assuming she was joking, the clerk reportedly replied, yes, if you hit them hard enough with it. 
Okay, bye. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Just go to the store and be like, I'm planning to murder somebody at the back end of this hammer. What do you think I should hide the body? Yeah. The next day, Phillips and Kathy left, along with a flask of whiskey, to calm their nerves. So they had a couple drinks on the way. You know, this is the 20s. We can drive around with flasks. It's fine. Probably if you got pulled over, you could just offer the flask to the officer. And I mean, at that time in the 20s, all the officers were corrupt as fuck. I actually remember in in the podcast, they were talking about how um, L.A. was actually one of the few places that like was actually harder for like big organized crime bosses and stuff to get in. Like the police would literally go and meet them at the edge of town and be like, get out of here. Like we got this shit covered. Like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it was, um, you know, Capone's brother or something. They ran him out of town. But anyways, I don't know enough about that to talk about it. Maybe one day we will. Yes. Let (laughs) me just go binge another five hour podcast tomorrow. (laughs) We'll know everything. All about him, all about the family. I could tell you a lot about his time in jail and how he was like haunted by one of the Valentine's Day massacre people. I want to cool. hear about that. So can you put that on your list of things that you want to teach me? Because I want to know. And I've been to Alcatraz. So like, Well, that's what I was yeah. going to say too next. I was, I was actually going to text you um, yesterday, I think it was. And I was going to be like, dude, like... I need to go on a road trip this summer. Like I need to do some kind of traveling, whether it's just a road trip. If, if I don't get on a plane, fine, whatever. But like we should plan out like a sweet ass little mini road trip where we can drive into the States and go to like a few haunted places. That'd be amazing. Yeah. I think that we should do that. And I mean, you can find them anywhere basically, but we can make a list. We can make a bucket list. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like those old men, that old man movie. Like that old man movie with Jack Nicholson and <laughs> the Glover guy, one of the Glovers. Yeah. And your guy with the the guy with the French fry like who does weird stuff. The guy with the French fry? The guy who ate the people's French fry and was like, you'll never believe that there's like, people never believe you. The guy, the old man that you love. Oh, Bill Murray? Yes. Isn't he on the bucket list? No. Uh, okay, now I need to Google this. <laughs> IMDb that shit. The Bucket List, 2007 film with, oh, it, there is no Glover. There's Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson. No well, Murray. we don't know what's happening. It's not our fault. Oh, my God. Sean Hayes from Will and Grace is in it. He's like the extra, extra flamboyant friend on Will and Grace. Mm. He was like best friends with her, him, I think. Um, Will, let me see. <laughs> now I need to. Will. And oh, wait, his name was Jack. I think his name was Jack on the show, right? I'll tell you right now. Yeah, it was Jack. Okay, beautiful. <laughs> Perfect. Ooh, what a lovely beard, Eric McCormick. Okay, back to my notes. Okay, so the next day. Clara and Peggy left along with a flask of whiskey to calm their nerves. And then they showed up outside of um, Alberta's workplace, the bank. Now, Phillips was acting pretty drunk at this time, but she, in fact, wasn't really drunk. And she asked Meadows, 
Alberta, to give them a ride to a house on Montecito Drive, I think somewhere like to Peggy's sister's or to her sister's, somebody's sister's house, which Mm -hmm. was an area that was very remote at the time. Like this is like the type of area where like you have a lot of room in between houses. Once outside of the city, um, she asked Meadows to get out of the car and discuss something with her. And she told Peggy, she says, can you just wait in here for a minute? Like, I'm just going to go talk to her. And Peggy knew that she was going to go talk to her about her husband. Like, that's all that Peggy knew at this time. They were going to talk it out. So once outside, Clara confronts Alberta and is like, yo, you're like hooking up with my husband. I heard he bought you the fancy rims on this new car of yours and like a nice steering wheel and all this stuff. And Meadows was like pissed. Like she's like, how dare you accuse me and besmirch my wonderful, you know, honor. Like don't. My wonderful honor. I like it how nowadays people are just like, would be like, oh my God, like, where did you get this lingerie or like who bought you this cool, expensive baseball cap at back in the day? It's like, he bought you a steering wheel. Watch <laughs> out. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, she denied Philip's accusation of having an affair with armor. Now, Clara wasn't taking any of this. She was like, mm-hmm. no, this you're definitely planning on leaving with my husband because I guess the car actually had some luggage in it. So Clara thought that this meant that they were going to run away together. When in fact, Alberta was actually going to go stay with like her ailing aunt or something to take care oh, of her. Oh no. Like an angel. Uh oh. Okay. So at this time, Clara like loses her mind, pulls out the hammer from underneath her cloak. I was going to say, and out comes the hammer, I'm yeah. guessing. And, and there we are, right on the money. Smashes Alberta in the head. Oh, fuck. Okay. In front of Peggy. Yeah. Peggy, like, jumps out of the car and is like, holy fuck. And she's like, stay out of it or I'm going to come for you next. Oh, shit. And Alberta is, like, bleeding, but she's, like, not knocked out. So she starts running and, like, Peggy's running off in, like, another direction. And Clara's like, you better not fucking go anywhere. But, like, she chases after Alberta anyways. So just like a fucking bad horror movie, while Alberta's trying to get away, her fucking heel breaks. And she falls. Oh, and fuck. Just like in a horror movie, dude. That's a, Yeah, like just like in a bad horror movie. She broke her heel and then comes Clara, who repeatedly beats her with the hammer. I believe there was like 50 blows. Oh, my overkill. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Here's a quote. It was brutal. Many of the police officers in L.A. said they'd never seen anything like that. Phillips had struck Meadows more than 50 times and for good measure rolled a boulder onto the woman's dead body because I don't know if she was worried she'd get up before driving home in Meadows' car. Now... You're probably wondering where the fuck did this tiger woman name come from? Yeah, this is I was going to ask this. this. I was going to ask this shit. Yeah, this is where it came from. Basically, the newspapers claimed her as that because it said that Meadows was so brutalized, it literally looked like a tiger had like attacked her and mauled her to death. Oh, 
And what I'm thinking is like, you know, yes, a hammer, even just the part that you hit the nail in, like it's going to whatever. But if she was using like the back end of it to create slashes, that's where I'm thinking tiger claws and really the shredding the body will come into play. So brutal. That is so fucking brutal. And the boulder is just, girl, like, are we really going to take that extra step? Like, now you're, like, you've already gone cuckoo bananas level fucking 18 out of five. And (laughs) what are we doing rolling the boulder? Like, what is this, this whole thing we're going to do? Well, that's the thing. Reinventing the wheel. It's fine. You've killed the woman. Leave her alone now. Like, what are we, we're going to fucking play gardenscapes now? Like, what is happening? (laughs) Uh, Honestly, like, there is a lot of liberties taken in the story and a lot of, different accounts and stuff like that because it's you know history and I Mm -hmm. do really suggest listening to the tenfold more wicked um season if this does intrigue you because they do go into a lot of like um you know like why did she hit her so many times and like da 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 and like you know like wasn't it enough to like kill her and get her out of the way you know like no it was like more personal like you know and she won now like and she's destroyed this young beautiful girl like they go into a lot yeah. of different things and there's a lot more information on this whole situation so she picked she so peggy okay so peggy is like shocked like she like watched the fucking thing and is like i don't even know what to do she's stunned i think she was like walking away or like trying to leave and then like she hears something behind her and like up rolls a car and it's alberta's car that they were driving in but it's clara driving and all covered in blood and is like hop in babe like you know bff and she basically says in the car to her she's all like listen if you want that to happen to you, then go to the police. But if not, if you want to live, then we're just going to leave this to ourselves. Okay. And this is again where they go. Between you and me, unless you want Mr. Hammer to make a reappearance, baby. Exactly. And this kind of, there's a lot of talk here about kind of some of the personality traits that she had, like, why would you think that she's just going to go home and never say anything? Like she really truly doesn't think of consequences in this whole situation. And then like, it'll continue on for a little while and you'll see. So um, she drops Peggy off at home, drives home, pulls into her driveway with the car, walks into the house, covered in blood. Walks oh, up there'd to, be tons of it. Oh yeah. Walks up to armor kisses him and says, I've taken care of everything for us. I'm going to make you the best dinner you've ever had. And just goes off into the kitchen and starts cooking. And he comes in. He's like, what the fuck? And she cheerfully confessed everything to her husband. So, I mean, (laughs) Armour wasn't like the best man. He was a con artist. He was a piece of shit, you know. Um, But he definitely had some loyalty to her because you do see that he does try and help her out. However, it could be just kind of self-preservation, right? So Armour's like, okay, first things first, we need to like get rid of the car, get rid of all the evidence, you know. Um, She was actually smart enough to take the head off of the hammer 
and she just left the like handle behind. The bloody handle. Yeah. I'm like, that would have your fingerprints, but they didn't have fingerprints. I was going to say, then. with your skin embedded in the wood and sweat and blood. But we didn't have DNA back then. No, we don't have to worry about none of that pesky science. Yes, exactly. So, um, after all of that, Armor says to her, listen, like, we need to get you out of here. Like, we need to send you, we're going to send you back to Texas, okay? She's going to go over there, chill out for a bit. Um, hopefully, they won't find the body for a little while, and we'll just hope this all kind of blows over. And then mm-hmm. I'm just going to come over and meet you, and we'll just live our life together, and it'll be great. And she's like, oh, fa- wonderful. So he puts her on a trade headed to Texas and goes back home. And now he's back home. She's on her way to Texas. Um, And then he's like, fuck, you know what? Like, I don't know if this is a good idea. Like, I don't know if I went about this the right way. Because he's like, knowing Clara and how fucking crazy she is. Because she's had episodes with him before, you know? Like, um, he's like, what if she loses it up there? You know? Like, what if she brings attention to herself and everybody finds out it was her and that I helped her and I aided and abated friggin' a fugitive, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So he's like, okay, you know what? Like in the morning I'm going to the cops, which is what he does. So he tells the cops everything and that's fine and dandy. They have what he says, but then Miss Peggy decides to go and talk to the police as well. Now, this isn't until after her husband's job interview. So she went home. She didn't tell her husband anything because her husband had a big job interview the next day and she didn't want to upset him. She didn't want to stress him out. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't want to stress him out out about that little murder that she witnessed. Exactly. So she's like, I'm just going to go zip until and then so he got the job and then she's like holy fuck i saw somebody's head get bashed in with a hammer could you imagine her sitting there making him a rose chicken and rose potatoes and like green beans and just shivering over the pot being like sitting there crocheting and like just into her her own skin like she doesn't doesn't even notice fingers are bloody she's just like chewing her lip off and he's like honey what's wrong she's like i hope you get that job tomorrow yeah because i've got to tell you something yeah so she goes to the cops and So now they have like an actual eyewitness. So the police dispatch and they manage to actually intersect the train and walk up. So Claire is sitting in the train and she sees some men in suits start walking towards her. And they're like, oh, hi, are you Clara uh, Phillips? And she's like, no, I'm Clara, whatever her fake last name was at the time. And they're like, Mm -hmm. "Mm okay, lady, we know who you are. Like, we're going back home. And she's like, fuck. But they're like, listen, you know, come back to L.A. Armor's waiting for you like this and this and that, you know she did find out that he was the one who ratted her out, but like she loved him so much that she was like, you know what? He's probably just looking out for the best for me. So it's fine. I'm going to come home and we'll figure it out. Like I probably won't even go to jail. She's very delusional. I was going to say like, we're not going to just chat this over and, and just kind of smooth things over. It'll be fine. Yes, exactly. So when Clara Phillips was hauled back to LA to face a trial, she found herself in the media spotlight which is what she had craved forever, really. 
It's true. Throughout the trial, she was living her best life, smiling for the cameras, flirting with reporters, you know, making direct eye contact and winking at jury members. Um, You know, like she declared her lover husband and, you know, actually at one point. So her defense throughout all of this like her defense team was like we're gonna claim insanity like this is our best route you know they pull out the family histories and go on and pull out her childhood and go into you know her little like episodes that she used to have and all that you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but then at one point so when it became peggy's turn to go up on stage on stage oh my god on stage the grand (laughs) stage Grandest stage of them all, the grandest jury of them all. Yeah. So when she got up um, and explained what Clara did, Clara got so mad. She pulled a fucking Ted Bundy in court. I I thought you were going to say she pulled the hammer out. I was like, no, no, no. (laughs) No, she pulled a Ted Bundy, meaning she had like won over pretty much everybody in the court. They all fucking loved her. Like, and at Mm -hmm. that time, men just could not comprehend. The idea of a woman doing such a fucking brutal crime. Like a lot of people didn't she couldn't think even she pick up a it. hammer, let alone swing it. Like, no way she did all that damage. You she know? didn't even make a good sandwich. No. Yeah. She couldn't even pick up the bread, that weak little woman with her little arms. Yeah. So when Peggy went up on trial, <laughs> wherever that, you know, she she went, what is it called? When she was called up. When Peggy was called up to the testify, to testify, that's it, testify. When Peggy went up to testify, told her side of the story, Clara lost it and like yelled at her in court and was all like, you tell lies, you bitch. Those are (laughs) actual direct quotes, but. I will tar and feather you. She did lose it for a second. Mm -hmm. And um, for that one second, people kind of got a little glimpse of like what Clara could actually be oh okay. and that's what i mean by ted bundy because remember whenever they like said he was guilty or whatever and then he like lashed out in court and like screamed something like i don't know i forget what he but like everybody knows that one scene where he like loses it and like people actually see that fucking crazy like ted eyes they can see the f- that little switch flip yeah. where they were so good at concealing it until they can't. And then once you get that glimpse, you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. They pulled the wool over my eyes. So clearly they're capable of something. If this is what we're seeing in a room full of people, could you only imagine if you got this person mad one-on-one? Oh, yeah. Exactly. So after this, like during the sensational trial, um, including that moment when Phillips dropped her charm and screamed at her friend Kathy, at this time... This is like when she like she actually started yelling and said that fucking Peggy did it. And she went on stand oh. and she made up this huge, really believable story that Peggy did it. I mean, that didn't go anywhere. Just going to put that out there. That would be really interesting if it did. Okay, but, that would be fucking horrible if it did. No, I know, right? But like, I mean, kind of pissed her defense team off because they're like, bitch, like we're trying to say you did it and you're just super insane. Like the fuck now you're saying i know she this did it, the insanity but maybe is looking maybe, viable maybe it'll look a little okay sure whatever so regardless of so the jury was consisted i believe of like i think it was nine men and three women because like what it's like 12 on a jury mm-hmm. 
yeah, there was only like three women. So, I mean, realistically, there was like, there was, it was almost a hung jury, almost. But so the women in the jury actually wanted her to get the death sentence, which they point out in the uh, podcast. uh, They say like, you know, it's interesting. You would think like women would be like, you know, trying to sympathize with her because her husband was potentially cheating on her. Oh, no, no, no. Women hate women, hate women. Like, especially back in that day, I'm sure like, you know, men know the world. They're like, yes. I know her. I know her because I have a little. Because I am her, her inside <laughs> <of> me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So they wanted that. The men wanted her like acquitted, basically, because they wanted to date her. They're like, look at this feisty tiger princess. Actually, she did get some like wooers throughout this, even though she was undoubtedly in love with her husband. There was a man who actually was like obsessed with her, which we'll go into a little bit more detail after. So they kind of decided to meet in the middle and they were like, listen, we don't want her dead. We can't let her go. So we're going to charge her with second degree murder and sentence her to 10 years, which she could maybe possibly get out earlier. Who knows? Mm -hmm. So she's sentenced. She takes it okay. Gets put in the county jail. But at that moment when she's in the county jail, she's like, I don't want to go to San Quentin, which like fair enough. It is a shithole right now. Can you imagine what it was like in the 20s? It was horrible. Horrid. Probably like more like the Tower of London. Just I'm thinking like cement blocks everywhere and rats. Literally, I think that there's like a part where uh Kate in the podcast is like, I just can't not picture that place without like, you know, you walk up and then all of a sudden storm clouds roll in and like. <laughs> yeah, a hundred. Yeah, it was like a scary place. And I'm pretty sure, Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of famous people who've been in there and are probably still in there right now. A lots, mm-hmm. lots of them. Um, So yeah, she decided that she didn't want to go to San Quentin. So she organized a breakout. Oh, my God. (laughs) So during morning checks, jailers found her cell empty with bars sawed clean in an open window. The police questioned Armour, who said he didn't know or help her escape, as well as her two sisters, Ola and Etta. Um, The police theorized that Phillips. Sorry, no, actually, I'm not going to go into there yet. I'm going to go off on my own here for a second. Okay, so... um, she had actually got uh, received a visitor who had came and dropped off like a vial or something to her. I don't know how they got it in. But anyways, apparently there was a nail file in there. And so the story is that she sawed those bars with a nail file and then she would trick the guards by using bubble gum to keep them in place. So again, this is Shut where they say there's a lot of liberties and like stories that came from this when in reality – she probably just like he probably paid like a guard to like let her like walk off the fucking property. Like I was thinking that it was the guy you said was trying to date her, like her admirer, who probably sh- like showed up and chewed the bars open for her because he liked her so much. Exactly. So the police theorized that Carla, Carla, oh my god, Cara <laughs> <laughs> fled to Mexico. Which is true. She did leave and she actually spent a couple of weeks in in L.A. first 
with a gentleman by the name of Jesse Carson. So Jesse okay. Carson was the accomplice uh, as well as her sister Etta who kind of planned the whole breakout. There is um, speculation that Phillips helped like pay for some of this, but maybe didn't have like actual wasn't actually part of the breakout. Mm-hmm. And I mean, keeping in mind through all of this, like Phillips is a straight up grifter and he's like, all of this like publicity and shit like that isn't good for my job. Like everybody's looking at me all the time. So I doubt he oh, probably yeah. wanted to help her leave jail. So in April 1923, police in San Salvador, El Salvador, spotted Cara. And on April 23rd, the police in Honduras arrested her under the name of Mrs. R.H. Young. Now, it was actually a reporter who helped them to catch her because he did some investigative reporting and ended up finding out, yeah, like where she was staying and told them, um, actually got in touch with her and convinced her to turn herself in. That's what I heard on the podcast. And in return, he wanted like an exclusive, obviously, but he just, he, he talked her into it by saying like, listen, do you really like, you know, is the money going to stay forever? Which she knew like his armor going to send me money forever. You know, do I want to live a life in El Salvador forever? You know, like he convinced her, like, if you come back, you could prove your innocence, which you say you're innocent. Wink, wink. Yeah, wink, sure. Wink, yeah. Or at least, you know, like come up with some kind of way and like just like, you know, do a little bit of time and get out. So. Just a little bit of time for a fucking heinous murder. Yeah. Yeah. So, but before leaving Honduras, um, she convinced a crowd of teenage boys to help her escape. <laughs> oh my god but a jail warden overheard them and promptly arrested the 15 boys i don't know how she managed to talk these 15 teenage boys into helping her but she did does she speak honduras like <laughs> i don't know but also she just draws a picture like with like it's like her behind a jail cell and oh, just like, actually, crosses it off her and her sister did learn spanish whenever they were there so they could live there Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. Um, Question answered. Thank you. You're welcome. So Carson um, was actually arrested as well. And he denied knowing Phillips and proclaimed his innocence. But he was actually arrested on like another charge for like some kind of illegal activity. And I think that's the end of them. Nothing ever came from that. Um, So we don't really know the details. There are stories of her scaling the roof and dropping down two or three stories. But either way, regardless of what happened, we knew that she had help, including from her husband. Mm -hmm. And it's likely that they probably just paid off somebody at the jail. And she walked out. That's fucking insane. Yeah. And that wasn't the first time or the only time she tried to escape jail. She actually schemed a couple other times, one of which was um, her mother being on her deathbed and, like, begging the warden if she could go visit her mother on her deathbed. But, I mean, they weren't dumb. So they had many guards with her at all times. And her mom actually went on to live many more years after that. I was going to say, her mom was just fine at home, like, pruning the flowers. And she's like, Mom. And And then she's like, like, (laughs) (laughs) dying. Yeah. So um, that didn't work. And uh, finally, on June 2nd, 1923, 
sorry, I might have mixed it up. This might have happened after when she was in San Quentin already, the second breakout. But anyways, on June 2nd, 1923, guards brought Clara back in a San Quentin state prison. Phillips attempted to take her life by suicide um, by slitting her wrists. But it was actually just like really um, superficial wounds. So it was assumed that she was just looking for attention, which oh, is, yeah. is something that she was you know, known to do. But afterwards, she resolved to be a model prisoner for an early release. Now, throughout her time in jail, Armour never visited or wrote. He was too busy protecting himself and trying to stay out of the limelight as he carried out on his many cons. And although Armour had stood by his wife for quite some time and, you know, paid for her trial and everything like that, the two did eventually just stop communicating and eventually divorced. Mm -hmm. While in prison, Phillips studied to become a dental assistant and met it, oh, no. a convicted burglar named Thomas Price. In September 1932, a correctional officer intercepted a love letter from Phillips to Price, which stripped her of her visitation, library, and mail rights in prison, as well as oh, parole. Shit. The parole board denied her in 1933 and 1934 due to the letters, which is kind of dumb. I mean, that's, I mean she, that's dumb. she should stay in jail because she's a murderer, not because she found love in a hopeless place. <laughs> no, straight up. And also, like, okay, I can understand when um, wardens and whatnot intercept letters where people are trying to conspire and be like, okay, like you go to this end of this cell block, I'll do this on this side, like organizing hits or escapes and stuff. But meeting other prisoners and being like, hey, boy, like what's up? I don't think that there's too much to worry about there. Like intercept the letters, but if it's something, but I mean, it could be code words. Maybe they thought that they were like, I don't know, every third word was their plan. Yes, exactly. Um, eventually, Kara settled into prison life before her release in 1935. Clara went on to study theater, singing, and learning dentistry. Clara died in 1969. I like to call the summer of 69. I don't know if yes. it was in the summer, though. <laughs> Living to the ripe old age of 71. Oh, my God. I can't believe she didn't spend her every single day in prison. Yeah, no. It's unknown if Clara exhibited any other behaviors throughout her life that, you know, had to do with her diagnosis. There's actually very little known. Um, she changed her name and uh, carried on with her life. Incredible. And when I say there's not that much known, there's actually quite a lot more known. Just listen to Tenfold More Wicked if you really enjoyed this. I do hope that you guys all enjoyed my little mini version of it. And it intrigued you enough to learn more. And if you're satisfied with what I told you, then great. I did my job. I'm satisfied. <laughs> I learned so much. Like, that was very exciting to me. Yeah? Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. So that is the story of Clara Phillips, the Tiger Woman, and the sad death of Alberta Meadows. Yeah. Can I just interject at your beautiful ending and say that it's too bad? I mean, not too bad, but like you understand what I'm saying. Like, I obviously didn't want um, Alberta to get murdered, but if she had done it with a screwdriver, she could have been Clara Phillips, the screwdriver killer. Oh my God. <laughs> and instead, she had to use a goddamn hammer and ruin everything. She's Clara the Hama. I don't the know. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> 
All right. Well, let's end this before we uh, ruin it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really, really good. Sign us off. All right, everybody. Here's wishing you much more roaring 20s foreplay. And much less uh, flap, flap, and foul play. See what I'm saying? <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.